Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optic Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back with another episode. Um, today, we're talking about what is wisdom, and I think this is interesting because um, I was talking with my now wife the other day about... Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, big stuff. Uh, ab- about what... Like, well, what are like some things that we think that young people just don't care about and don't value? And she said that she thinks, you know, like there doesn't seem to be any real conversation surrounding wisdom or like what is wisdom or how do you attain wisdom or how do you, how, how do you, how do you figure out what wisdom is? And I, I agree with that. I think that young people are more focused on trying to be knowledgeable and trying to figure everything out more knowledgeably than they are trying to figure out, figure out how to be wise people. And I think you have to go to Proverbs and I think in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, a lot of times you see wisdom and knowledge are kind of grouped together. And it feels like if you got one of them wrong, you're going to have both of them wrong. And, um, so I, let's go in, I guess I'll start with, I'll just kind of open it up for you, Nick, that you can kind of explain your initial thoughts on, on wisdom and what the important things are. I know that there's the wisdom literature, which would be considered like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, right? Yeah, Proverbs, yeah. Uh, usually, I mean, this Psalms are usually lumped Psalms. in there. Psalms, yeah. Um, Song of Songs is usually considered in the same in that same genre, even though it's poetry. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- those books are the, you're in the, you're in the neighborhood there. Yeah, and so where do you where does somebody start on their journey towards wisdom? I guess that that'd be the first thing that I'd ask. Yeah, so let me let me tell you a little bit um, autobiographically, just to kind of connect with your whole like, what should the young people care about? Yeah, and then uh, then maybe they get into like an, a little bit more analysis on like what wisdom, what we should count for wisdom. So um, I was a I was a very impetuous young person. Um, yeah. Uh, and I my adults would have said fairly erratic. And so, um, when I went to college, I had been a Christian for just a little while and I thought I I was going to a secular university in the New York system. And I thought, you know, I need to really, I need to like really do something with my faith or I'm going to lose it because where I'm going Mm -hmm. is not going to be naturally hospitable to it though. Though faith may be able to thrive in the public university, it won't thrive with no nutrition or discipline. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I need Christian community, but I also need like input, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I decided I was going to have a hour long devotion each day, given the unhealthy lifestyle of waking and sleeping of college students. I figured that would need to be in the middle of the day rather than the morning. So 11 AM to 12 noon was my like quiet time that hour. And I spent about 30 minutes of it reading like, and then I spent about maybe 10 minutes of it journaling, like what I just learned and what I thought I just found out. And then about 20 minutes of it praying what I had just learned. Right. Mm. And then in the evenings, oftentimes I would pray for 40 minutes to an hour with other Christians for like our campus and for things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the th- practices I started was I, I would read one chapter of the Proverbs every day. So if I was reading through, say, Matthew's gospel, I'd read like maybe two chapters of Matthew's gospel and then I'd read Proverbs one, the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'd read the next day, I'd read two more chapters of Matthew and then I'd read Proverbs chapter two. And I do that through. And so there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. So mm-hmm. every 31 days, you would read through the whole book of Proverbs, right? Yeah. Well, just to say, you told me to do that and I've done that now. Well, I, I add Ecclesiastes to it. I do Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. So I'll read, okay. I'm reading Romans and the, and the Ecclesiastes right now, but 
Yeah. yeah. Ecclesiastes is a little bit more difficult because it is. It doesn't, because it's not one liners, it yeah. has, Ecclesiastes has a flow all the way through it, right? Yeah. So Ecclesiastes wants to be read as a whole. Yeah. So yeah. if you, if you read it quick enough in succession that you could carry the line of thought through the chapters, then it works fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're mentally resetting, then it doesn't work, you know? So if that works for you, yeah. that's great, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, so, um, what I found was, is that it really, it incredibly changed my life. I mean, I just can't, I can hardly, and, and others noticed it, noticed that really quickly, like still mm-hmm. in my freshman year, I think just towards the end of my first semester, um, I remember people just telling me like that people would have these problems. They'd say, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And I would say what I thought, and it was categorically different than everybody else. And not just like what I was telling them was different, but like everybody could easily recognize that it was like four steps deeper. Mm-hmm. And, and significantly more mature than what other people were thinking. There was just all yeah. kinds of criteria. They just weren't even taken into account. And it was because they didn't understand God very well. And they also didn't understand themselves very well. Yeah. And so what I found was of trying to avail myself of just, not just wisdom sort of generally, but specifically the recorded wisdom just in the book of Proverbs in the Bible, which is kind of a narrow slice of it because the, the Bible is all full of wisdom. Proverbs is probably the least theological of the wisdom mm-hmm. of the Bible. Um, but in other ways, it's the most practical, like on ground level, right? Yeah. And so by just studying that, it just it just completely changed my life. And I just know a lot of people for whom that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And so just as a, as a practical fact, um, pursuing wisdom through the scriptures mm-hmm. has dramatically changed my life. It has kept me from doing a lot of stupid stuff. And it has given me the wisdom to deal with things in a much more productive and I think godly way. So it's, well, I mean, Proverbs, it's made my life in a way. I was going to say, it's like weird. It was interesting because when you read like Proverbs 1, it, it in the beginning, it tells you like what the purpose of Proverbs is mm-hmm. or like what, what it'll give you. It'll give you wisdom and knowledge. And then it says like, it'll help you like solve riddles. Yeah. And um, I, I was like, I like looked that up. I was like, what the heck? Like riddles. And I guess like there's real riddles in there that you, that, that are, I, I don't know which chapters, like 17 or something. I don't know, but. There, maybe there's a bunch of them, but there there are like little riddles that that you can try to solve, which is just inter- it was interesting because I didn't know that growing up that there was like little riddles in there, and it's just weird. It's like I just didn't expect. It's like a game put into the Bible. It's like it's cool. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> you looking something up? No, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to look at that verse and just there's a lot. I don't know what translation you read that in, but. It's Why was it NASB? Oh, of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Oh, no, I, I'm looking at the NAS and it doesn't seem. Anyway, sorry. Oh no, no, because when I looked up, did research on it, I was mm-hmm. like listening to people saying that there's riddles and here's where they are, and so I went and looked, and I was like, "This is okay. This is interesting. Um, that that that's like a real thing in the Proverbs. Like, what could that help you with?" But. I, I guess there's a lot that it could help you with. I, I listen to a Bible project on it and I listen to some other things. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, there are, there are some, I mean, there are some ways in which wisdom traditions from all kinds of different countries have, they, they'll produce like some kind of riddle where like you're trying to figure out the answer and to get the answer, you have to learn a couple of lessons in order to understand and comprehend what the answer might be. And then the way you get the insight, like, causes you to really remember the thing you just learned. And so there are ways in which riddles were used, especially before like the printing press 
as ways to like to like Memorize. form people's memory yeah yeah in ways that were helpful and, and really forming so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so i guess like talking about wisdom and wisdom literature and that kind of thing where yeah so i guess are you saying to begin with people should just read through the proverbs every day um, I mean, I know I just, I think that's a really helpful practice. I'm not saying it's, yeah. it's not, it's not literally prescribed in the Bible, but it's, yeah. I mean, I found it in many people have found it to be a really, really good practice. Yeah. So then let's just start with answering the question, the basic question of what is wisdom? Like what, what is it technically? Which is probably an impossible question to answer because. Yeah. So wisdom is um, knowledge in context. Mm-hmm. like rightly related to other knowledge so mm-hmm. that by understanding it, you know what to do. Yeah. So it's, it's knowledge that is whole enough to be operative. Mm-hmm. So how do you gain that? Well, how do you do that? Like I, I'm, I think about people like I seriously think about people my age. I've talked to my friends. They're, they're like, I have two friends that are dating. They want to get married, but they're dating these girls and like, I don't agree with with some of the things that this. I, I think that some of the things that these girls believe in can be catastrophic to like raising children later on in their life or something mm-hmm. like that. Like the, there's disagreements. Like let's say me and Andrea disagreed politically. Like she was like a left wing progressive and I was a, a right wing conservative. The, and it's like young people want to be like, well, that's no big deal. We can still date. And then they'll have kids and they don't know what the heck to teach them or what values did because they're what they believe politically kind of is 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 kind of what they believe about their values and that kind of thing. And it kind of like makes up that. And so I feel like that's a question rooted in wisdom where when I try to talk to my young friends about it, they're like, well, it's no big deal. Don't, don't you don't like, that's no big deal. It'll work itself out. My wife will just listen to me when we have kids or whatever, you know? And it's like, I think that's a terrible, terrible thing. It, I, dude, I had a friend tell me that his wife would just, sub, she'll just submit. That's what he said. And I was like, I think that's not going to happen. So that was like a legitimate thing. So yeah. that's somebody really said in real life. And so the question yeah. is, where do you start with you know, like a wisdomless culture? I mean, there's wisdom is not taken seriously in America, in the American culture, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it comes from a, a, a number of things are necessary. So, so biblically speaking, there's, there's maybe maybe three or four things to start with, right? So the first is you have to believe that there has been knowledge before you. Mm-hmm. So there's there's two ways of thinking about the world in a very, very limited sense. Either A, the things that we found out in the last 20 minutes are the most important things. Or B, the accumulation of human knowledge over the last several millennia is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Either what we've just found out upends everything that humans have known up until this point, or no, it hasn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's normal for younger people to um, see things that their elders seem to not take seriously enough, either because mm-hmm. they truly are new in their generation, which is more true now than it's ever been before. Right. Because technology has changed human life yeah. in certain ways, at least cosmetically, but I think more deeply than that in mm-hmm. a number of ways. Right. And so it's easy for younger people now more than ever before in human life to say everything that's comes before us is different. Mm-hmm. And so what, what's happening now, you have to come up with your view of the world by what's happening right now. Or you mm-hmm. go, no, 
Like we human beings are the same thing we've been for thousands of years. We're not fundamentally any different. And so things mm-hmm. like love, communication, friendship, all that stuff is all really still the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, so the biblical narrative proceeds from the idea that knowledge precedes us. Well, what do you say about the people who are like, they don't agree with that, that, that these, like that they both think that we are evolving. Like this is, I feel like it just, all these things, people actually just don't agree on that love and knowledge and wisdom. These have all been words and concepts that we've understood for, for many, many, many years. Like they think that we're literally evolving and that's being taught to young people all the time. And so, yeah, well, how how do you deal with that? I mean, part of this is an equivocation fallacy on the word evolving, right? Mm -hmm. So evolving means changing, right? But evolving when used relative to human beings usually means human evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And from an evolutionary perspective, even though evolution is a theory by which we we believe that human beings have changed over time, Mm -hmm. from an evolutionary timeline, 5,000 years is nothing. Right. Sure. So evolutionarily speaking, in terms of human evolution, assuming that this, like the standard usually used theories are, let's say they're hundred percent true for yeah. our stake of argument. That would mean that we're basically exactly like the people who came before us 2000 yeah. years ago, or at least those who had reasonably good nutrition. Yeah. Because it's right. within the timeline of uh, billions and billions of years. And yeah. I mean, how much do you think the human ra- human brain has evolved or whatever? Right. Wait, right. How hardly at all. Right. Now, you know, it's yeah. true that there have been certain breakthroughs in farming that's increased nutrition, which may, may, has made us capable of other things. But like, it's very clear that there were people with 140 IQs in the ancient world. And it's also very no true that, that like our, like our use of technology has probably, well, I don't know if it, I don't, there's probably studies out there that our use of technology has in some ways dumbed us down because we rely on it more. Our, our brains rely on it. Like the, inf- not the information that we can hold, but the information that we do hold. Like, I mean, has well, been- yeah, life. St- I mean, hu- the human mind is very flexible in certain ways. And so, yeah. yeah so like er- in earlier generations, human beings used a lot more of their mental power to memorize things. Yes. Right. Right. And they held more information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at other times, like you know, in 1820, let's say, mm-hmm. a, a pretty smart person could be educated. That is, know most of what was in human knowledge. And now the idea that you could know most of what's in human knowledge is just crazy. I mean, it's like what, because what, it's, you can, you, yeah, you because get the to, internet, right? Yeah, I mean, well, and yeah. just because si- human civilization is advanced, I yeah. mean, computer technologies and scientific pretty spending, quickly. And like yeah. all these kinds of things have just increased our knowledge like exponentially. Right. Yeah, yeah. So because of that, like you can't, there's no such thing as a well-educated person anymore. I mean, that's the scary thing. I always think it's hilarious when people on the news are like, somebody says something that's like stupid, educationally mm-hmm. speaking, and people are like, oh, that person's so dumb. And you're like, mm-hmm. are they? Yeah. Or how could they, they? Or did they just not know that tidbit? I mean, we literally right. have shows like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Which right. you're not, of course you're smarter than a fifth grader. The, the question is like fifth graders, all they have to know is some basic facts. Right. Yes. And so like, if you've forgotten those then you're supposed to be stupid, but it's not that it's that you forgot them because you never used them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So like it's people true. say stuff that's silly all the time. That's not really not evidence that they're evidence that they're dumb. It's evidence that like, you just can't hold everything in your mind at the same time. You're a human being. Mm-hmm. That's why people, people underestimate like how big a deal like the printing press was, but yeah. like human beings being able to print out and share knowledge in libraries, mm-hmm. like for anyone so that human beings could accumulate knowledge through writing and printing. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that was like the most unbelievable thing ever. Mm-hmm. And then well, being I, able to put I, it on computers and share it through the internet is like, I mean, you can you can expand knowledge just incredibly fast. Well, we were we're me and Andrew are reading uh, "Marriage to a Difficult Man" about it's about Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Edwards and. Jonathan Edwards went to Yale and um, Sarah Edwards, I think her grandfather helped put together like the first uh, library at Yale. And um, it started with like 40 books that were just donated. And that's what they consider to be a library, like 40, 41 books. And Jonathan Edwards was like constantly reading those books, but it was like such a big deal to these people that they had, they had 40 books that they could read. And I'm like, you go to a library now, um, and basically, well, Andrew just texted me and said it was Sarah's dad, not her grandfather. So there's a fact check. But yeah. uh, the, you go to the library yeah. now, there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. I mean, it's like we have so many. Oh, yeah. So much. Oh, no, no. I mean, tens of thousands in some of these libraries. Tens of thousands. Yeah. You know, right. and now they're committing them all to like PDF files and stuff like that, which is great. But yeah, and I you mean, just get them for free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, so. I I mean, to, to put that in contrast, right, that's that's old Yale. Like, a hundred years ago, there were tens of thousands of books, right? Yeah. But if you go to, like, let's say, if you go to, if you go to the time of St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, if you were mm-hmm. a, a seminary student and you heard Aquinas teach on Summa Theologica, you mm-hmm. literally were copying down by hand what he said in class. And that yeah. was the book that you were going to mm-hmm. use in your ministry. That was going to be mm-hmm. your one book. Mm-hmm. Whatever notes you could write on vellum while the the great ox talked well it's it's, then how did a lot of these guys like come up with their theories because or like the things that they believed i mean were they just really just like looking at the world and just yeah writing down what they thought to be because we're still trying to analyze all that stuff to this day so these guys are pretty like even people like like Karl marx who is i mean we think he's i think he's his ideas are somewhat are pretty insane Mm -hmm. but like People are still studying to him, them, him and his stuff to this day, or or somebody you know even further back. People further yeah. back, like Thomas Aquinas and these guys. How did they get? Yeah. Well, I mean, like okay, crazy. so I think you're what are you, you're twenty three or four or something like that. Twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. So like you're not old enough to remember what life light was like before word processing on computers. No, I learned so, that in like kindergarten. Yeah. So day. I'm old enough to remember when you couldn't. There was no Microsoft Word. Yeah. Okay. So if you wanted to write something, you had to type it out. Yeah. And so that was, of course, too costly to type something out and then just retype it again. You're literally typing down every word, right? You can't edit in real time on a paper, right? So what you'd have to do is you would write it out longhand. You'd write it on a piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually pretty inefficient, too. Because you can't just write out of your head a draft on paper. So you actually have to think out what you're going to say in order in your head. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote the Gulag Archipelago, the Gulag Archipelago, in his head whilst in the gulags. It's like wow. a three thousand page work. And then he, he couldn't write it down. it down. He had to write the whole thing in his in his mind and hold it in his mind, virtually memorized, mm-hmm. including the testimonies of people, the details, the places, the names, so that after he got out of the gulag, he could write it all down. That's that's in the twentieth century. Yeah. Right? That stresses me out because I don't think I know anybody, who, including myself, who could do that today. Uh, maybe they could do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if the circumstances were right, they could do it. But I don't know anybody who I'd be like, has that a – that's like you have to be pretty smart. I, I feel like you have to be pretty – maybe not smart, but very 
very capable of memorizing a lot of things yeah. word for word. I, I don't Yeah. Know. Well, people have, I mean, people who were educated in the old world had more organized minds than us. That's partly because they weren't as overloaded as ours with information, sure. but it's yeah. also because that was at a premium. I mean, thinking clearly and deeply was fundamental. And remember, this is all before screens. Mm-hmm. So um, if you think of concentration as split between hyper-focus and deep focus, so now we pay attention to as many things as possible. We have hyper-focus. That's, imagine somebody scrolling through their phone, paying attention yeah. to everything, as, taking as much as you can, right? That's actually mm-hmm. a, a pretty shallow kind of focus, but it has certain uses, right? If you're going to make yourself aware of a lot of stuff and then later think about what all that stuff means, being able to take in a lot of stuff can be really helpful, right? Mm-hmm. But in times past, deep focus was a much bigger emphasis. And in the Christian tradition, especially in relationship to wisdom, yeah, deep focus is everything, mm-hmm. not hyper focus. And, and so deep focus is deep, deep focus. So, like one contrast contrast you can think of is the difference between meditation and yeah. contemplation. Mm-hmm. So, meditation is the idea that you're kind of trying to clear out a bunch of stuff to create some empty space. Which there's some really good things about that, right? I'm not I'm not knocking meditation, right? Contemplation is to take an idea and to focus on it in a deeper kind of way, to kind of yeah. work it out, to take your time, to think about its many levels, its varying attributes, its many facets, mm-hmm. and like what what's its significance and how does it relate to other knowledge and how does this really apply to your life? That contemplation is what tends to bring about wisdom. Yeah, meditation, at least the Eastern religions would say, helps get rid of illusion. Hmm. How would that play out in Christianity? Med- meditation, would that be like prayer in some ways? So I think Christians could use some of the dynamics of, of meditation, even if it's associated in their mind with Eastern stuff, by saying, what am I going to do to quiet my mind living in a hyper-focused world? Yeah. I remember I was talking to a Hindu person. We were, we were I was doing evangelism, right? I'm telling him about Jesus. He's telling me about Hinduism. And he said, how about this? He said, would you meditate for 10 minutes a day till we meet next? And I said, well, what do you want me to do? Do I, do I need to utilize like a Hindu, um, um, I forgot the name of the thing you would say, like, um, like a meditational saying, I forget, I forget the name right now. But anyway, and he said, no, just, just sit and try to make mm-hmm. yourself as still and calm as possible. Just breathe in mm-hmm. and out and focus on the breathing mm-hmm. and just don't let any thought occupy you mm-hmm. try to get to silence and see what it does mm-hmm. you'll be healthier you'll be happier right i said i said i can mm-hmm. do that there's nothing in my convictions against that he said well yeah, yeah. just see it'll be it'll, it'll be great and i said okay and then and i said okay if i do that then we come back and then you'll do something for 10 minutes a day like read the gospels he's like yeah but like i did i mean i did find that to like sit down eat, and so i just did it before prayer Mm-hmm. I just sat down. I, I breathed in deep. I breathed out deeply, and I tried to get that like crazy, many screaming voices of all the stuff I have to do, all mm-hmm. the the people who want a piece of me, all the th- the the thing I watched before I went to bed the night before, all that crap that's clouding my consciousness and busying up my ability to, to focus deeply yeah. to get it quiet. And I think there's a lot of usefulness to that. But then there's a big question of okay, then what are you going to turn around and contemplate? Yeah, right. And I don't think the illusion of my existence is the proper thing. Mm-hmm. I think something in biblical wisdom is, is better than that because it's truer. And so yeah. I, th- I think the, the question of biblical wisdom is on what do you contemplate? 
and to what end, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I think you have to start with the idea that a there are truths that have come before you that are worth knowing deeply with mastery, even if you're going to change them. Mm-hmm. And then two, you need to foster deep contemplation rather than hyper attention. Well, I think that it's important. I I think it's important to talk about contemplation. I guess because that's something that has like seriously scared me with my people in my generation and talking to people in my generation is their inability to contemplate things deeply. Like, because I think, I think a lot of it, like you say, you talk about a hyper concentration because of social media, they're focusing on the, like the, like blips of information that they're getting, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than taking a serious deep dive into whatever, like even, even when we're talking about news, a lot of people just read the headline they don't actually read the article and usually the article is not even that long. So it's like, we're just so we're not doing it anyway. So how, where, where do people start with, with, with learning how to just, especially my generation. Cause it, it's, it's seriously like I can't, it's very difficult for me to have like seriously deep conversations with people my age because they don't like when you start bring, when I start to go get into like my, whatever my hypothesis or my theory on, postmodernism or how that's affected the Bible they they get like intimidated and they're right. like, I don't want to talk about this. And this is like too deep. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. or, or people that would feel ashamed to say that they bounce to another topic. They just find yes. a way to like go to get something it off. else. Yes. Right. Yep. They'll just take something in what you said and they'll free associate it and just keep moving because that's what they're right. used to doing mentally. They just keep moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. And they don't say, is this really even true? Mm-hmm. And how would I know? Yeah. And what does it relate to? And all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Generally speaking, the way that functions is in your fast conscious thinking. It just takes the thing. It associates it with what you think you already know. It gives it a yes or a no. And then you move on. It pleases right. you or it displeases you. And then you move on. <laughs> and what you're yeah. doing is you're, you're really programming your consciousness to be incredibly shallow. Right? Because you're, yeah. you're, you're making yourself more and more reactive. And so going deeper than what exactly is our consciousness? Because isn't that kind of uh, in some ways what like makes up who we are? And if our consciousness is shallow, then like who we are as human beings is shallow. And that's a serious issue. Right. If if your consciousness is shallow, the likelihood your character is going to be shallow is very high. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the case for my generation. Yeah. I I mean, that's remedial. I mean, like you can do something about it, right? Yeah. So there's a few. the, The things I would say are these is like one. Start by identifying hyperfocus in your life. Mm-hmm. Like, like, are there are there things that are causing your mind to be busier mm-hmm. rather than slower and calmer? Well, I'm just going to say one for everybody that's listening because I think social media is one, and I think yes, but so are video games. We're going to hit men too. Well, yeah, I think video games too. I, I don't play video games anymore, but I agree. Yeah, I agree. With for a lot of men, video games fills fills the comparable heart, hole in the soul that. Of competition um, so that and flipping adventure. social media does for women, right? Because women, yeah. their competition is, am I pretty enough? Am I enough? Yes. Right? right? Men is, right. Am, do I win? Can I beat this person? Right. So men can move, can I win into the video game realm and get the affirmation Which is, that they need? Women can probably move, am why, I enough into the pictures right, realm right. where they can stage themselves so they can win? Yeah. Well, it's probably why people like Shapiro and P- Jordan Peterson can't get off Twitter in some ways because they want to compete in these little arguments with people on Twitter and see who can who can win too. I mean, that's why Twitter's like I feel like it's there's a lot more men on Twitter. I don't have the statistics on that, but there's a lot of men on Twitter just yapping at each other all the time. 
Yeah. I, part of it is that um, because we are a society of hyper attention and not mm-hmm. deep contemplation, to get people's attention, you have to get into the marketplace of hyper attention. But to get yeah. into the marketplace of hyperattention to persuade people that they should engage in deep focus is really difficult. <laughs> so hold on. On Twitter, I just looked it up. There's it's 70% of it is men and 30% women. So Yeah, well, women are just more conflict avoided than men for the most part. Yeah. Like it. Into it. Yeah, right. Right. But if yeah. you look do the same thing on Instagram, I would suspect that it's the, probably it's, women. It's probably the other way. The Instagram yeah, is more women it. than men. And I would think significantly. I'll look. I'll look. Um uh, actually, male fifty one percent, female forty eight percent. Seriously, on Instagram? Yeah, it's wow. it's weird. Some of these things play itself out in a weird way. That is that surprises me. I would have thought it would be significant. I thought it would be would have been women more, and and I would have thought it would be at least ten percent. I I also would have thought that may, maybe if you looked at like maybe that's just that's users. So maybe if you looked at like active people who are like on it more, women might be like spend more time on it. I don't know. We I looked that up, but that, that is interesting. I mean, like among the teenagers I know, like in our youth ministry and stuff like that, oh, it's yeah. the girls that are always flipping through Instagram. And yeah, so the they're probably on way more. Yeah. Yeah. The, the guys, guys go on there. I for think the girls videos. get on Instagram to figure out whether they're enough, and the guys get on Instagram to get the attention of girls. Yeah. It's what I assume is happening. Now, maybe it's probably why there's more guys than girls on there is because the guys know that's where the girls are competing, and they got to go there to find which one they want to. They want to. Talk to, yeah, which one they like. So, okay, so okay, so wisdom. So one is mm-hmm. wisdom precedes us and it's accumulated in human experience. So the young people yeah. generally look at, say, the older generation is a sellout generation, mm-hmm. that what marks the hierarchies that came before me is corruption, and therefore I have little or nothing to learn from them. Therefore, I should listen to my own mind and the mind of my mm-hmm. peers. Scripture teaches that is stupid. <laughs> I mean, it is so st- and arrogant and stupid because you're not better than your parents. Like mm-hmm. you're just not a better person. You, you know, like, yes, there are sellouts in the adult generation. There's no question about that, but yeah. there's sellouts on the basis of incentives that you are going to face that you have mm-hmm. not yet faced. And you have not proven that you are better than them. Right. Mm-hmm. When you face a hundred thousand trials and you mm-hmm. are better than them, then you will be better than them. Okay. So this is, I was, I'm reading the rise and triumph of the modern self. And I, I know I mentioned doing a podcast on dignity and I, I will just bring it up. This is where I think dignity comes into play, though, because I think that my generation and the millennials have an idea that everybody has inherent dignity. And when I look up the word dignity, it's it, it's I'll, I'll look up the def, the true definition right now just so I get it right. Um, the definition is in the state or or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. And like the book says that, that that's an egalitarian thought process that everybody isn't that has dignity. Like d- dignity is something that it seems like you have to earn in some to some capacity like you have to earn honor you have to earn respect you have to earn that and in a society like mine where everybody gets handouts and they get participation awards there's you don't have to earn anything to to feel like you deserve respect which is why people are going to listen to people who have not beat out those 10,000 things right yeah yeah so i think this gets back to something um michael matheson miller who's a catholic scholar i like likes to say which is that in mod- in modern thinking because we have tried to make everything simpler we aren't educated enough on basic distinctions and we make things run together that shouldn't and so it may well be true that the proper historical way to distinguish dignity from say value is Mm -hmm. that dignity is something that is earned on the basis of how you comport yourself and character and Mm -hmm. constitution and and 
um, worth or something like that is that which is inherent to you that is deserved by all men and women, right? As, yeah, I mean, if, I mean yeah. if you just if you're distinguishing dignity from another measure of value that's inherent in human beings, because because Christians believe human beings bear the image of God and have inherent value. Value, right? right? And I that would be separated from, I guess, this definition of dignity, right? Right. And so the que- so the question is. Is dignity a word that should be distinguished from another kind of human value that's inherent, and therefore dignity is not inherent? Because what, what I think the reason why people think that is because dignity just gets used as a you should be treated a certain way, yeah, that isn't dehumanizing. Like there's a certain amount of respect every human being does deserve, be just because they're a human. So, for example, if a, if yeah. a homeless guy yells at me on the street. Right. I don't just call him a like GDMF and like throw a, a stool at him. Like, <laughs> like he's still a human yeah. being and he's behaving yeah. badly, but like, there's a certain way I'm going to treat him just because he's human and because I'm human. And right. I would like, say that's, I owe him a certain amount of dignity. Now, does, is that the way I should use that word? I don't know. Right. Well, there's, I mean, there is, there is something that deserves some English word. That is what I should give somebody whether they deserve it or not. But there's probably yeah. another word, and maybe that word is dignity, that is something that you have to deserve, you should deserve. Well, and I feel like it depends on who you're talking to and, and how you're going to use that word. Because I, I also think like if a 28-year-old millennial walked into your office and tried to tell you how to run the church, mm-hmm. you would probably, I mean, I'm not going to speak, well, if I were you, <laughs> I would be like, okay, dude, shut up and leave. Like you have done no I mean, yeah, you might yeah. listen to him, but you don't know research. I think research. I would, use, I think I would use the word respect for that. Okay, but but I do th- I do think that there should be a word like dignity that doesn't mean inherent worth. That but that like, person hasn't earned the ability to come and to say that to, to some aspect. Yeah, but I I do think you're right that there should be a word for respect earned. That yeah, like I, you should be treated a certain way because you've earned a certain amount of respect, and I do think that 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 millennials and gen X and Z all are resistant to that idea that that like, would be, like, be honor. So for, let me right. like, for example, right. If I saw president Biden, now yeah. I disagree with a number of president Biden's policies right. and I, I don't particularly respect him as a person. Right. But he has achieved the office of president. He holds the office of president. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's my president. Right. Mm -hmm. I would if I met him, I would shake his hand and say, it's very nice to meet you, Mr. President. I would Mm -hmm. call him President Biden. I would not if I asked a question, I would ask it, ask it in as objective a way as I could. Like there's Mm -hmm. there's certain things I would do. And if somebody tried to attack him, I would jump in the middle and try to defend him if if I if there wasn't somebody else to do it. Right. Because he physically attack him. There's a dignity. There's a dignity that he deserves because he's the president. Right. There's also a dignity that like a priest deserves if he's like followed God his whole life mm-hmm. that like his track record makes it. So I owe him something, not just his humanity, but what he's done, what he's chosen to do, which is like one of the reasons why you're supposed to respect your parents. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just because yeah. they're your parents. That's part of it. It's not just because they're human. That's part of it, but they deserve something because they've made sacrifices for you. Mm-hmm. you right. Like they, you, you were theirs and they did what it took. And you should yeah. never treat them the way you might treat somebody else, even though you should probably yeah. treat other people well too, right? <laughs> so yeah, I, so anyway, I'm not prepped on dignity, but I do think that like that's part of wisdom, understanding like how we value people and how we show it. So, okay, so let me let me get back to something. So the first is, um, I think w- wisdom starts with knowing that there is knowledge that has preceded us, mm-hmm. that's embedded in human experience. It's possessed by older generations. 
it's in books written by people who are dead and so on. And to, to neglect that is to our own peril. Just try to reinvent human life from scratch is stupid. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's not to say you can't learn the knowledge of the past and then disagree with it or change parts of it. But it is to mm-hmm. say it's very dumb to not avail yourself of it. Right. And the it's second- probably going to be very rare circumstance to where you can change parts of it because it's been thought through millions and billions of times by different people. I think if you're availing yourself of the best human wisdom, that's probably true. Yeah. And I think yeah. if you read the book of Proverbs, you will find that to be true. I, I've, yeah. I have found nothing in the book of Proverbs that doesn't bear weight in experience. Yeah. Even I mean, the stuff Ecclesiastes, I he's like, he's like, uh, nothing under the sun is new. Yeah. What, what hasn't been tried before. Yeah. That whole thing. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the second thing is, um, a deep contemplation versus hypertension. I think that's huge. I think slowing down, calming your mind, getting away neurotic, repetitious things that create neurotic and repetitious thoughts, which make you think in a shallow way, behave and think reactively, keep jumping around to things that occur to you rather than allowing yourself to be quieted and shaped by the truths of God and wisdom is incredibly important. And if you're not willing to do that, you cannot become a deep person. You cannot form a deep character. You can't build personal discipline and therefore perseverance. You will be erratic. You'll be easily manipulated and you won't be educated because you can't know enough. Hyper focus and attention. Can You can't learn enough through hyper attention to know enough to understand how the world works. There's yeah. too much out there. The only way to really know how the world works is to know enough of the key things deeply enough that you develop a spiritual nose to smell things out. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. So now, thirdly, there are a couple absolutely primary sets of notions that biblical wisdom says you have to master. And if you Mm -hmm. don't, you will be a fool. And if you do, you can hardly help but being pretty wise. Right? Mm -hmm. And those three things are, one, the fear of God. Mm-hmm. that God is king and sovereign Lord over everything. He is the master. He is the authority. He is the one that tells us what to do. He knows everything. He dispenses wisdom. He speaks and shows himself. He reveals what we need. He takes care of us. He is the sovereign God. And yeah. you start with that. And he is a great God, and he is an extremely morally serious God. So when you talked about fear, I know a lot of things that probably pops into people's head is like, okay, the Bible tells me, obviously— that whom shall I fear? Like I, I should have no fear. And then in the next sentence, it'll tell me that I need to fear God. And right. like, I shouldn't fear. And I, I got to fear God. And that gets confused. I always, when I was younger, I was always like, what the heck is going on here? Why are they telling me one thing? And then then next second, they're telling me another thing. And so what exactly does it be like the fear of God mean in relation to not also not fearing anything or not fearing, like not fearing yeah. all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the most straightforward way to answer that is in the book of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't find the verse right this second, but but um, Jesus says something like this. Don't fear the one who after they can kill you can't do anything more to you. Mm-hmm. Fear the one who after he kills you can throw your body and soul into hell forever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which in short is an argument against conditional immortality because if when you die you are just annihilated then there would be no difference between the two it is the torturing part of the second one that makes that statement make sense right and what it means is that um if you fear god like you should 
you won't even fear people who can kill you. Yeah. So you can stand before Caesar and because you feared God enough to believe in him and now you know that you love him and he loves you and he is on your side and when you bear witness to him, you do what pleases him and he will never let you fall out of his hands. That even if if Caesar is going to cut you to pieces and burn you with pitch and tar, you're not afraid of him. Right. Right. So I think that, you know, which for context, that was happening all the time. Yeah, that was happening in the first century, right? It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Good example. Like, listen, either our God is going to save us or he's not, but we're not bowing down to your stupid trying. Like, it's not going to happen, right? And it wasn't because they wanted to die; it was because like they feared somebody more than man. And like, they had convictions. Yeah, I don't. I really, I really don't believe. One of the reasons I believe religious faith is incredibly important is because I don't believe, and I don't believe any significant portion of humanity can stand up against evil and violent men without the conviction that God is bigger than the guns and machetes they carry. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that it's really important to fear God. And I, because of that, and the thing is like, if you don't fear God, then any bull crap people tell you that will make your life go better. You'll let yourself believe it because you'll you'll go along to get along. I mean, that's what, I mean, why do you think schools are so amazing at brainwashing students? Well, a, they're young B teachers have eight hours a day with them. But the biggest thing is the peer pressure. Yeah. Right? Like like students are they're actually like ge- not genetically, they're hormonally disposed to agree with their peers. Mm-hmm. Which which God does intentionally. Like when you turn 14, 14 or 15 until you're about 26, your home your your brain has hormones in it that shape your mind to want to agree with your peers rather than your parents. Because What happens for people who don't are, aren't like that? I don't know. Aren't well, you well, not I like mean, that? I mean, I still wanted to be accepted by my peers. I just a wasn't, and b didn't want. To, <laughs> I didn't want to do the suicidal crap they were doing, you know. Yeah, sure. But but I still wanted to be accepted by my peers, really breathlessly and very adamantly. I just I've maybe this is a me problem, but I found that I literally don't care. Like I I and maybe I'm just not thinking hard enough about this, but like I don't care what my peers think about me, which probably is abnormal. I don't know, but like it's about I I want I. I'm just bringing that up because I think that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that you can mentally model God as a person who you want to be accepted by too, because he is a person yes. you want to be accepted by. And I think yeah. that that can counteract some of the peer pressure stuff. Right. But, but I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that um, we, you know, we have to recognize that we're going to have to work through these things and like, it's natural for us to want to be like our peers. Right. And the only thing that can offset that is the right kind of fear. Because mm-hmm. the biggest fear a 16 to 22-year-old has usually is that their peers won't accept them won't like or that the people in power aren't going to give them an opportunity like the job that they want or the sure. woman they want isn't going to give them the opportunity to have sex with them and marry them and so on, whatever it right. is that they think that they want. The idea from being cut off from opportunity or belonging to especially a younger person is catastrophic. And that has mm-hmm. leverage on you at least until your 50s usually, until you're basically financially independent. I mean – until I mean, in some ways, until you're that 85 year old lady that can fart around her granddaughter and doesn't care because she's 85, yeah. right? Yeah. Like until you get to kind of that point, you really are like pressured by everybody else, and because of that, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have yeah. to be. Here's here's what I'm saying: the fear of the Lord brings a sobriety. It makes you sober relative to the drunkenness of right. peer association and the madness of the world. Uh, like and without, without something yeah. to make you sober, you're going to be drunk and worldliness. 
Uh, so how do you get people to ca- even care about that? Because I, I think again, my generation, millennial, like people might from probably, you know, probably 10 to like you say, like 40 or 50 or whatever right now seems to, I mean, probably more the younger side of that to probably 10 to like 30, 35 seem to be like, like hyper obsessive with just, I'm never going to ruffle any feathers. I'm never going to say anything that anybody doesn't like because I need everybody to accept everything about me. And, and then they get into their affirmation bubbles and their little affirmation echo chambers and they just tell everybody what they want to hear. It feels like there's, this is kind of why we're talking about how there's no reverence for wisdom because wisdom almost forces you to set yourself apart from whatever the rest of the group is thinking. Right. Um, unless you just, you assume what wisdom is, is whatever your bubble says, which is what a lot of people are doing right now. Yeah. But one of the th- great things about right. scripture is like, if you read through the Proverbs, your, your little group isn't going to make it <laughs> because it says all kinds yeah. of different things that are all true. Right. And so like, if you have like a political ideology, you're doomed. If you have a racial right. ideology, you're doomed. If you have, I mean, if you have any like small minded, whatever you're, you're doomed because yeah. you're going to bump in all this stuff. that's like, that's not true. <laughs> Yeah. Right. There's anti-hierarchical stuff. There's pro-hierarchical stuff. There's like people in power can be fantastic. People in power can be idiots. There's like, there's the fool and the wise person. I mean, it's just like so many different iterations and versions, you know, and they're all true. And they're all kind of like this intricate weave weaving web. And what what it does is it breaks down your ideological purity because it's like, yeah, none of, none of this stuff, none of these little philosophies you have work, they're all stupid in the end. Right. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So the, I point one is that, so now we're talking about the content. So we talked about, Pursuing wisdom, there's knowledge that comes before you, deep contemplation versus hypertension. But then like, what do we contemplate for wisdom? The yeah. first thing is the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Right. I was talking to a, a young person that I'm very close to recently who's kind of like said, I don't believe in God right now. Hmm. And they were like, but I want to study the Proverbs because I just think there's a lot of wisdom in the Proverbs. Maybe, maybe we could read the Proverbs together. And I was like, we totally can. But here's what you need to remember. The Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. you can't really explore the wisdom of the Proverbs without recognizing that the first proverb is right. fearing God. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then second is what, and this isn't a verse from, but it's like the whole breath, what all the Proverbs breathes is what I would say is a Christian or biblical anthropology. What are human beings? What are they like? How do they behave? What do we do wrong? Yeah. What can we do right? What happens when we relate to each other in certain <laughs> ways? Like a biblical anthropology. Um, John Paul II, right. the Pope, said yeah. about socialism. He said, socialism isn't a political fallacy first. It is first an anthropological fallacy. Because yeah. it misunderstands what human beings are, it gets everything politically wrong. right? Yeah. And that's true for so much of what is making everybody crazy right now is because yeah. we think human beings are things that they are not. We believe all kinds of insanity about what they can do or ought to do or what they deserve or what should be done and blah, 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 blah. And we believe yeah. crazy things about like th- about law and about bioethics and about mm-hmm. justice and about race and about good and gender. evil. Yeah, and about like gender and, yeah, maturity, aging, sexuality. I mean, mm-hmm. just, you, I mean, almost anything in human affairs if based on a false anthropology will end up false. It's weird. Cause you can't really put your finger on like what our society would consider to be like our anthropology. Like what we like, what, what, what they can't really put your finger on it. Cause it's like a billion different things. And obviously that's like what yeah. the postmodern philosophy does, but it's just weird. Yeah. But I mean, I think that what's sometimes called expressive individualism yeah. is, yeah. you know, one of the simplest summaries that gets at what's wrong. Yeah. 
and that gives you something to make build a contrast with. What's or, the word? Or What's just an anti teleological other... view, like that we aren't made yeah. for something. That we, yeah. you know, because scripture teaches we were made for something. We have a particular image imprinted on us. We were given yeah. a commission, and we have a nature that we have to discover. Expressive yeah. individualism or the modern Which non religious mimesis. Just believes none of Mimetic? You know what I'm talking about? Was that what you just said? I know the section you're referring to, but I can't reproduce it from memory. But that's from that book, The Rise and Triumph of the Mind Itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We'll get to that when we talk about the book. But but, but I think think one of the things that those scholars would say, as well as many others, Alistair McIntyre is probably one of the first people that wrote it quite this way, is that when you believe that human beings, that what human life really consists of in full authenticity is to delve the depths of your own soul, find whatever is in there and express it. Yeah. Is fundamental to human life. And our bodies are simply modes by which our immaterial internal selves express themselves. Yeah. Rather than our bodies as are something that defines us as much as our internal selves. Right. I, I mean, I think that I think it, that book says that is like, how does yeah. the sentence, yeah. I am a man in a woman's body, intelligible? Right. right? Yeah. See, if you yeah. believe that your body is as much you as your internal thoughts, you could, that yeah. could never be true. Was that considered uh, nihilistic Taoism? Is what that would be called? The that whole thing that you just explained about the 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 mind and the body, the mind and the, and the physical, like being separated. Or am I thinking of a completely wrong thing? I mean, in some ways, it's a form of secularistic dualism, right? Dualism, like dualism, okay. is just the idea that the soul and the body are are, are like dualism. Substantially Dual- separate. Taoism. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Taoism yeah, is, is a Chinese system of religious wisdom thought, kind of. Interesting. Um, Taoism, dualism. Taoism dualism. Or yeah. Dual, so dualism is like, these, are, like there's a duality to us, right? And yes, so right. over the last 30 or 40 years, as Christians have grappled more and more with science and neurology, they've yeah. come to a less dualistic view that the soul and the body are so intertwined that it's very difficult to talk about separating them, though they both exist. Yeah. The, part of the issue is, is like, if you want to believe that your mind can go against your body and that if that happens, that your mind is right, yeah. even though neurologist like secular neurology would say your mind is simply a provenience of your body that is your neurology yeah. right then if your neurology is out of step with your biological physical body you would think well your neurology is malfunctioning right right but that's not the way see if you, but if you believe that we don't have a nature to be discovered yeah. but we are simply expressing the self that we think we are just <laughs> then then the, our body is is an instrumentation of our expression and so if inside I feel like a, I'm a woman, then my body is an instrumentation of that. So I need to get my body to conform as much as possible to the internal thing I'm expressing as a quote. But even in that, even in that, you're still like trying to push on something that really can't be moved. It's like you're, you're trying to get right, your but, body. But to, the question is, why can't it be moved? So there's this whole, right, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's this whole movement now called transhumanism, which is mm-hmm. this idea that like, what happens when we have the technology to do it? Like, what if, what if I could create one of those California sex dolls that was a super smoking hot woman in a silicone enhanced body that right. had the internal chip technology that my neurological self could be transferred into that smoking hot animatronic body so that I could be a woman. Like, I could transcend this physical body, become unphysically embodied into a new technological body, and transcend my humanity. And be what could, I wanted to be. Are you saying then, you could send your consciousness I, over? Yes, yeah, so but but I could put that into a woman a woman body, but a 
made one. How the, and then, how and, then what if, and then what if I thought it would be really hot to have tentacles and I could add those to my robotic female body. So I could be a porn star with tentacles with this mind expressed through the individualism that I have put into the transhumanist construct of this external body that I've created to hold my consciousness. If anybody what, thinks that I will personally pay for the therapy. No, but think that about that. So, no, the, the question, Andy is if that was possible and I did yeah. that, would I yeah. be experiencing authentic individuality and therefore freedom or would I be committing an abomination? Well, that's, that's well, the fundamental yeah. question. It, ma- it depends on what you, yeah, I guess you're right. It and depends a lot on of, what you believe a lot of to be your the, peers the and mine would yeah. say that would be freedom. <sighs> so how do you, what do you do about that? I mean, that's like what we're going towards. You like look at the metaverse and obviously like what you just explained is probably years and years out. I mean, that's yeah. a very difficult thing but to you do. Could literally, but you could towards- literally imagine me. So there was a, there was a movie or no, it was like, a, it was like a, it was like a one season show that had like, I forget her name, like the, like the hot girl from some movie. She was like a young hot thing. And it was like Noah, somebody who's like chubbier with like really curly hair. And they were in this like psychological experiment thing. And you could take this pill and you could like relive your way through stuff. Huh. And one of the guys that got to run it was like, Is this black mirror. I don't it's think so. it, was, it was really similar to that though. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, and like, so part, but black mirror basically is that's what it, that black mirror is exploring. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there was this episode where there was this woman, she was really yeah. in love with this guy and then he dies and okay. then, but she finds out she's pregnant and then she like, she finds out that he, she can take everything he's ever said, every video, every email, and it can, um, and his consciousness can be basically with recreated. artificial intelligence recreated, right? And then she yeah. finds out she can have a conversation with this AI of him on the phone, and she does that as like part of a grieving process. She finds out she could get a body to put that in. Yeah. And so she does. And so she mm-hmm. basically has this marriage with this robot that is an AI version of what was going to be her husband. Yeah. And then she like goes through this disillusioning process of like, but this isn't him. This isn't him. Yeah. But it is him, but it isn't him. Does right? she start to like realize like weird? I haven't seen that one. Does it start yeah. like realize like weird quirks that like make her think that it's not him? Like it, like the, the unrealism of him or that he's not like a human being? Like, well, what are, like my question is, in, yeah, in these yeah, types of- I mean, yeah, the interesting thing about that episode is that she realizes that this consciousness just, isn't being like him in certain really, really subtle ways that yeah. reveals that it's robot. Now the, 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 the question is right. like, okay, but what if they could fix that glitch? What if they could make the robot your husband? Well, my question is, then is, is that what, at what point? No, because my question for that back to that would be at what point is, does nature like end the conversation? Like at what, what are the, the un like the the unrecreatable things about human beings that you, like no matter how hard you work technologically towards recreating, you just can't do it. Like there has to be there has to be things in the human yes, soul and, and consciousness. That, and are those mind. are those walls scientific or are they moral? Are there things you ought not do, and are there things you cannot do? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, what do you think? Right. What what do? Well, I mean, I don't think I'm qualified to answer the scientific question. I don't really know what we can and can't do. I don't know yeah. what scientific perfection would look like. Right? Maybe we could heal every disease. Maybe we literally could grow you a second body that we could transfer your consciousness into and you could be, you know, after you're 80, you can be 20 again. 
right? I don't know. That's like crazy. maybe there is a metaverse where you can like your consciousness can go when you're terminally ill and you can live there in this like hyper like realistic image based video yeah, reality yeah. forever. Right. And be rich and wealthy and right. Maybe the poor, yeah. maybe in 20 years, the poor can just hook themselves up to that forever. Yeah. I don't know. You know, maybe there'll yeah, be, a, mean, maybe there'll be like an environmental thing where if you will hook yourself up to the metaverse so that your consciousness is contained in it and then your physical body is killed so that we can save the planet. Yeah. But there's a financial incentive that you can leave behind to somebody. And it's a way of like just getting fewer carbon-based physical life forms on the planet so that there could be a, like good nature, right? Yeah. Who freaking knows? I don't know. But like that doesn't mean that I would think that was okay morally. Right. I was going to ask. Well, and, and it reminds me of that scene in Inception where they're in that that like dun, like the dingy basement and there's all those people that are hooked up to their dreams um, and like that's their reality. And when they wake up in this world, it, I do remember that part. Have you seen Inception? I have, yeah. I don't remember yeah. the inception. Yeah, yeah. There's like a point in which, yeah, these people are just all in their dreams and like that's where they live and they only wake up to like go to the bathroom and stuff like that. And but that's the reality is that they're in their dreams because they don't like the reality here on Earth. And I mean, it's just an interesting thing. But what yeah. do you think about the morality of all that? Yeah, I mean, like, how, what would you say to that? That's like a about the physical it's, changing yeah, your I mean, whole as far consciousness. as I can tell that would be something like the opposite of the creation mandate which is to make take dominion in the in this world that is yeah and in some in some ways I mean I heard somebody say recently every time we enter the virtual world we are escaping our embodied nature it's an anti-teleological action right yeah. like we're going we're going against the fact that we are and I, I noticed this even you know one of the subtle ways I notice this is whenever I put on headphones or put mm-hmm. in earbuds yeah. There's a certain way in which the moment I do that, it separates me from the embodied reality <laughs> around me. Yeah. And it puts me into something else that is kind yeah. of unembodied. And yeah. I, I mean, I do it for my work, but I'm also kind of I'm sucked into it. There's something yeah. addictive about it, yet unwholesome about it. Well, right. Yeah. And I think that that's something Christians are going to have to wake up to. That like well, not makes- everything that draws us in is wholesome. Okay, so then, so that's that kind of leads us back to wisdom, and how how do you right. figure out what what of these things that draw you in is wholesome and is not wholesome? And like, right, it that starts was, with the that fear was of point God two under content, which is you have to pursue a biblical anthropology. Yes. you have to know what a human being is, because only then can you know what a human being is is not, and what yeah. a human being ought not to be or do. So, what's a good place to start with? I mean, what do you think a human being is anthropologically, scripturally? I mean, I, I mean, I do think that Proverbs will tell you a lot about it in a, on a really yeah. practical level. I think yeah. the commandments of God are guardrails to check when you're going off the rails. Yeah. So adultery is something humans ought not to do. And if you think humans ought to do it, you're wrong about what humans are and what they ought to do. So go back to what you think humans are and what they ought to do and resort it out because hmm. you're wrong. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, yeah. or to murder a person, like no, or to steal right. from another person. If you're like, well, but we're all victims. Of, well, here's the thing. If you are willing to steal from another person, you've gotten wrong right. what humans are and what we ought to do. Right. And then you've also gotten wrong the like whole don't repay evil for evil thing. So you're like two steps wrong and you just got to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. So anyway, the, the point is that, um, that anthropo- having and, and I would say right now, like like when I was in seminary, we people used to talk about the concept of sin was really hard to get across. To get people to believe that there was evil, that we were evil. Um yeah. 
now it's regressed a step further to anthropology, what a human being even is. Yeah. Right. And what that means and that there, there's the shared idea of what a human being is, has kind of vanished. It's yeah, you know? broken. up. Yeah. Yeah. It's broken down, broken apart really. Mm-hmm. So I think those two things, starting with the fear of God and then trying to get your anthropology, right? What is a human being? What are we to do? What, where are we from? What are we becoming? What's right about us? What's wrong with mm-hmm. us? What does God say about all that? Right. What, how right. are we redeemed when we're redeemed? What needs to be changed? Oh wait, mm-hmm. godliness is in many ways about building virtue. So what do we tend to lack without godliness? Well, all important virtues and so on. You start to fill all that stuff out and you're like, right. okay. And then all of a sudden a bunch of stuff in our culture is going to start smelling really bad. You're going to be like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. That's stupid. That's stupid. That's stupid. That's wrong. That's going to hurt right. us. That's going to be taking in the opposite direction. That's going to, yup becomes yeah. real obvious real fast. So what do you say to people? Okay, so I got young friends. I have people friends. I, and, and even for myself, too, It's sometimes I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm a Christian. I feel like my friends are Christians, but they're not analyzing the world in that way. Like they, they're, it's like they say that they believe the gospel, but it feels like it only their Christianity only goes as far as saying, this is a lot of young Christians, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and then when you start to talk about these types of things, the anthropology of scripture, what 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 is a human being? What is sin nature? It's like, oh, no, they never thought about that. And actually, they're like opposed to thinking about that. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you're thinking just like the world, but then you're telling me that you're a Christian. Is this person a Christian or is there, are they not? I mean, that's. Yeah. So there's a. Th- I mean, one of the ways that that's sometimes called is spiritualism or or pietism in the negative mm-hmm. sense. So, in yeah. one sense, pietism is just is just the, the notion that how deeply we feel the religious truths we believe in is as important as how clearly we believe them, or whether or not we do good works, right? Huh. And there's there's something really correct about that, right? Like if you don't feel the truths passionately, they're not doing in you what they should, and they're not going to produce yeah. in your character what they should. The, but the problem is, is that People can easily think that if they understand that, that's enough. Hmm. That the deep, profound feeling means they're on the right track, and it, and that's plenty. But the problem is, is that you can feel things deeply and do nothing right and believe nothing right. Right. And that that your faith is still useless, even right. if it's and like that, really hot. You know, that'd be the argument against like I think, uh, uh, well, uh, Billy Graham. Uh, like uh, the uh, he said, like you know, out of all of his crusades and all the things that he did, that he'd be surprised if five percent of those people were actually true, truly became Christians. But a lot of those people probably experienced like a deeply emotional thing, but it just didn't produce anything. Right? You know, that happens yeah. all the time. And yeah, I'm not sure about how pessimistic Billy Graham was about the crusades, but I, I do think he knows that fewer than twenty percent were in church fifteen years later. Yeah, of people who made commitments, and when they made those commitments, they felt them warmly, right? So yeah, they felt what them, happened, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's true. So, so I think it's important to recognize that that, that uh, a heart for God is not all there is, mm-hmm. right? If you have a heart for God, then you should have a heart for the thing God has a heart for, right? Which, Which is. Um, people, right? That is love. If you love me, you'll love my sheep. Yeah. It says in John twenty one, right? That's true, but also. Yeah. Um, if you love God, you'll want to grow in godliness. Second yeah. Peter one five says is the first thing to add to your faith is knowledge, right? It says as your faith knowledge, mm-hmm. right? To Unto knowledge, to goodness, to goodness, self control, self control, perseverance, and so on, right? And so the the yeah. very first thing you're supposed to do is okay, I believe. Well, what the, frick, what the frick do I believe? Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> what does it mean? And, I mean, Jesus said, "Listen, go everywhere in the world, make disciples of everyone of all nations." 
right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then what? And then, and then teaching them teaching to them obey all. everything totally. I commanded you. So the idea that like everything Jesus commanded or taught or told is part and parcel of believing in him, becoming his disciple, and being baptized is insane. Yeah. Right? And if, if you're not interested in that, you're not interested in Jesus. You're just not interested in him, right? So, okay. So what you're saying, I mean, then that makes me believe that like most of the people that are my age that are calling themselves a Christian, they're just not because they do not care about seeking knowledge. Like, and this is something I've been thinking about for like the last like three years, trying to figure out whether or not I'm around Christians or not. I'm talking about people who are 18 to 23 or Mm -hmm. 24 right now, the people that I'm around, um, not like John or, you know. Or, or Luke or whatever, like I, I trust their their faith because they're all seeking it out. It's like these, those are the people that I would go to to talk to about Christianity because the people my age didn't want to talk about it. And so I seriously question whether or not these people are actually legitimately Christians. And yeah. based on that, it's like, no, it doesn't seem like they are. Yeah. So, I mean, on one level, I believe that God is incredibly gracious in his judgments and contrives ways to count our crappy faith as sufficient faith for him to save us. Okay. Yeah. So on one level, I think, um, I mean, Jesus says even a, like a mustard seed of faith is, is can it do is a lot, enough. right? Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of people who believe very ignorantly and God counts them mm-hmm. as his children. However, um, I do think it's incredibly foolish. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, it, that one of the things Jesus does say, and this is in the scripture a number of times, is that self-deception relative to saving faith is really is a very real possibility mm-hmm. right and so assurance like our our knowledge that we belong to god has to be rooted in something solid that is what god says should assure us right yeah. and what god says is that there's there's a there's a few things one we abide in christ that is we confess his name we're mm-hmm. in him and as john 17 puts it by remaining in him we we bear much fruit that is, what ha- the, what Jesus did, we do. We do it a lot. Yeah. And so um, out of the vine of Christ, we are the branches. And so the sap of life comes through him into us. And then we're supposed to grow these grapes. And that's how you know the branches and dead. It has leaves and grapes on it. And yeah. so Jesus is really clear that like a living disciple will bear fruit. Now, that doesn't mean you'll necessarily lead 30 people to Jesus, but like, stuff like Jesus yeah. will come out of us. We'll love people. We'll apologize. We'll yeah. forgive. We'll... You know, we'll we'll live yeah. that way, right? Increasingly right. And, and meaningfully, not perfectly, but meaningfully, right? Hmm. But it'll also it'll also, I think, create a desire to know God in wisdom, which is hmm. not knowledge that puffs up, but operative true knowledge, right? That you know and that you can do something about. Like knowledge hmm. that you can use to please God, to know his will and to do it. And so oh, yeah. as to please God and make your life an offering to him. That's what faith looks like, right? And to yeah. say you have faith when you don't have faith to have faith isn't very faithful. Yeah. So. <laughs> if so your definition you're... of faith yeah. is mental gymnastics that make it so you don't right. have to have faith. Right. I have an issue with your understanding of faith. So then what do you do with people? So then how do you push people in the direction towards wisdom and knowledge? Because, yeah. or I guess, begin. Well, I think there's two things. One is you try to show them the beauty. Like you, yeah. you, you take pieces of wisdom and knowledge and you just give them to them free. And that's one of the reasons why wisdom is so great is because they don't have to have all the rest of the superstructure of God's knowledge 
to know that this piece of wisdom is wise. It like it, right. it implores itself to you kind of intuitively. And you're like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And then you're like, yeah, well, there's more. You know, so one of the, it's just to, yeah. to bring it to people, to offer it to them, right? People believe by but hearing preaching or the word, like you, you share truths with them in ways that are compelling and they respond, right? And the Holy Spirit works in that, right? And then the second is, I think, like, um, I think it's like part of it is just like it's terrifying to be without it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it can lead you down. It can lead you down like a, a terrible, terrible uh, a roads. And I think to that per the first thing that you said about like giving people little pieces of the beauty of wisdom. You talked in your sermon about responsibility a couple weeks ago. Do you remember that that one? Mm-hmm. You talked about responsibility. I think at some point you talked about like ma- like saying what is true. Maybe that wasn't in there, but mm-hmm. I think that 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 has to has a lot to do with this. Is like for for young people to have the confidence to say to say those pieces of wisdom with confidence, like that's what it ta- like. I don't think a lot of them have like are going to speak up, even if they have good things and wisdom to say. They're not going to speak up because they're too afraid to say something that could go against the grain, like we were talking about earlier. And you got to build up the confidence to say that th- those things that are yeah. true to draw people into the wisdom of, of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard for people to to go against the grain at all. But I, I think one of the things that I mean, has a thought that's been really formative to me is that as a human being who is embodied, like I'm not an expressive self, like mm-hmm. I'm an embodied person who has to become something right. And, and one of the things I think is true about human beings is that um, we're formed by whatever we pay attention to. Yeah. I was talking to this philosopher from Niagara University last weekend, and he said his name's Phil. I can't think of his last name right now. And he said, he said, people want to think they have free will. Like that right now I can make two choices and I can choose A or B. And he's like, that's not really as true as we think it is. <laughs> right? Like your personality is already pre-programmed to make a choice. Right? Yeah. He said, the where we really have the most free will is in the determination of what will be our habits of mind and of life. Yeah. That you can premeditate. That you can form into yourself by ritual and by... Mm-hmm. um by liturgy and by choices and by things, practices and by what you pay attention to, whatever you pay attention to is going to form you. And then that will preset your will to choose freely, whatever's already there. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to have a free will, you have to pre-program your will to choose freely what you wish to choose. Mm -hmm. Right. If you want to, if you want to act humbly in a situation in the future, you need to program your heart around humility now by intentional no, actions yeah. of ritual and liturgy no. in your life. Yeah, because your instinct is your instinct is going to want to you're going to want to act in pride rather than humility, yeah. and that's yeah, yeah. And you're, you're like, well, why didn't God give me free will? I'm like this evolved animal that like can't do that kind of stuff. It's so like I wasn't made to be monogamous. Blah blah blah, freaking blah. No, you have been <laughs> you've been paying attention. Yeah. Two things where it you you could blow up your anger and you can do whatever you want with your sexuality and you go blah, blah, blah. and as you as you pay attention to these things they form you in ways yeah. you don't completely understand and then when something happens you behave the way you have formed yourself. I mean, it to some capacity though, you have to give credit to like to total depravity and human and like sin nature and that like we are some way we're like some ways pre-programmed to make the decision that's going to be sinful, right? Yeah, but but that I mean that's why discipline exists. That's why yeah. I mean, God gave us the capacity right. to say no yeah. 
to right. sin, right. right? And so we can do that, right? With, if, and out have, of that builds up the ability to then make the decision that's the, the right decision, saying yes to the thing that is right. Like, you know? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, part, and part of it is that this is why you have to fear. Remember my first two points of wisdom is fear the Lord and understand what a human being is. You see, yeah. your best chance of beating depravity is A, to fear God more than yourself, right? And so be, right. to have an authority higher than your depravity operative in your life. And two, understanding how your depravity works and how God works for good in you yeah. so that you can be the best version of you rather than the worst, right? So having a good anthropology and fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. Right? Yeah. And so the more wisdom that you have, the more you, the more resources that you have inside of yourself to actually turn your good intentions of God into realities. Hmm. The more foolish you are, the more life is always going to be sneaking up on you. Things are yeah. going to happen. You're like, how did that happen? You're like, because right. you're too foolish to see things before they happen. Yep, so, all right. Well, I'll explain to everybody. Nick's Wi-Fi went out. Because he had his router plugged into the wrong outlet <laughs> that when you shut the light off, it shuts off the, the router too. Uh, so. Oh, man. I don't. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing. I can't. I mean, I, I don't know how that's possible. But anyway, it's, it seemed to be the case. So whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. like my wife and I have been in bed on our, maybe, maybe we're getting, phone. maybe we're getting like, you know, 4G or something. I don't know. But anyway. Well, one of the kids, maybe one of the kids did it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, anyways, what we, I mean, we're coming to the end of this podcast, anyways. I, mean, you, you, I think it would be helpful if you went through your points, yeah, um, again and kind of wrap and wrap things up. Yeah. Okay. So the two procedural points are there's, there's three procedural points. One is wisdom has preceded you, right? Yeah. The um, even if you're gonna, I mean, every generation does have to put things together for themselves in a way. Mm-hmm. especially right now with so much changing globally, personally, politically, culturally, but yeah. starting with meaningful access to wisdom, the wisdom of the past is incredibly important to start with. Otherwise you will be really stupid. I mean, historically speaking, there's no one dumber and more easily manipulated than the young and mm-hmm. young students, especially. So if you're like, well, yeah, but I went to college and I learned stuff and I'm educated. I'm not easily manipulated. No, historically speaking, you are in the group most easily manipulated mm. and caught up into the stupidities of your moment. And that's not like that's not bad. I mean, I was in those shoes when I was at age two, right? So um, just wisdom has been accumulated before you talk to grandparents, talk to older people in your church, read books by dead people, but start with the book of Proverbs and the Bible. Because even if the Bible wasn't true, you, were, you would still be accessing like 30 generations of human wisdom. Oh, hey, you cut out... For a little bit there again. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That so was weird. Like, I, yeah, I would say just like still, I mean, still like read the scripture. So, so one is um, wisdom is, has preceded you. It's accumulated mm-hmm. in human experience. Don't think that that like everything before you is a bunch of like sellout people and you're going to make the world better. That's the most likely way to be dumb, to be completely deceived and to make sure that you make all the mistakes everybody has ever made before you again, except worse. And with technologies that can make things even worse. Okay. The second thing is um, that you have to achieve deep contemplation, not just hyperattention. Everything mm-hmm. technologically in your life is set up to move you from one blip to the next for hyperattention, to take in as much as possible that doesn't produce wisdom. Mm-hmm. Wisdom comes from deeper contemplation on more foundational truths about the reality of the world 
and from a quieter, more disconnected place in human concentration. Mm-hmm. And um, so yes, yesterday um, I took, I was kind of taking the day off. I didn't, I basically wasn't on a screen all day long. I was actually doing psychological work on myself and mm-hmm. I sobbed like six times, like working through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I could not have done it. I could not have gotten to the, the place I needed to get to depth wise in terms of concentration and contemplation. If I had been on screens, there's no way yeah. I had mm-hmm. to like get in a completely different mode of existence, mm-hmm. disconnected from things. So I could really contemplate something deeply enough and not be constantly distracted. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot done. I really had a super productive day towards depth. And it was because mm-hmm. I had cut myself off from hyper attention and you just have to do it. Otherwise you cannot be a deep person. And then the third fundamental principle is you will become, you'll be formed by what you pay attention to. Mm-hmm. If you pay attention to Instagram, to the memes, to Facebook, to cable news, to blah, blah, flick and bra or shallow friends who are yeah. totally caught up in hyper attention. Um, you are going to be formed by them. That's what you'll be made like. And that's who yeah. you will behave like. That's who you'll think like. That's who you'll be formed by. You are formed by what you pay attention to. You can't choose who you want to be. All you can choose is what to pay attention to and how to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that will make you into the person you're going to become. So choose wisely, right? Mm-hmm. And then two fundamental starting points of wisdom. The first is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's no way around that. You have to know that God is bigger and you have to really fear him in a way that makes you sober minded. Like it mm-hmm. puts away the drunkenness of worldliness in the moment and allows you to be shaped by a, like the concentration that comes from fear, <laughs> like in certain mm-hmm. ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then secondly, anthropology, you have to pursue what is a human being really? Mm-hmm. Because every generation has its own mythologies about what human beings are that are false. And so you you need the Bible desperately to teach you what a human being is, whether it's in the most like in the most storied kind of way, like reading through Genesis, whether it's the most practical way reading in Proverbs, or whether it's the most salvational way reading about the perfect human being, Jesus Christ, and how he makes us perfect human beings through his work. There's, the Bible shows us and teaches us in many different places, in many different ways. But learning what a human being really is, is what develops your nose for smelling what intellectual food is rotten and what's good mm-hmm. what friends are rotten what friends are good who's a fool who's an evil person who's a wise person who should you listen to who shouldn't you listen to what mm-hmm. that you're taking and paying attention to you is is deforming you and what is wholesomely forming you and mm-hmm. once you get a smell for that kind of thing you'll be able to form yourself by paying attention to the right things mm. and so i think yeah. those are the i mean obviously there's like there's so many things in scripture but those are just five basic ideas I think could be helpful to people. Yeah. And I think, I think a good starting, like another starting place, like, like you said earlier, just start reading through the Proverbs, uh, one per day that that's helpful. I mean, that was helpful for me. Um, and then moving through that and that'll teach you a bunch of stuff. I, I, it'll teach you, I think uh, new things every time you read through because there's so much jam packed in every, every chapter. So, yeah. And pay attention. I mean, this is what goes back to mentoring, right? Like why are mentors important? Because yeah, they're not right. in your generation, right? They have some accumulated right. wisdom from living life that you don't have, right? Right. And, and, and also community. Who you are around is going to shape you profoundly, Yeah. right? Tim Keller said, you're going to become like whoever you eat with, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Um, 
Okay, well, I guess we wrapped it up there. There's nothing you want to say that at all besides that. There's always that. more. There's always there's more. Always but more. That, but like, there's a question. If we get those five things, like wisdom precedes right. you, deep contemplation rather than hyperattention, and mm-hmm. you are formed by what you pay attention to. So pay attention mm-hmm. to what you're paying attention to. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the fear of the Lord and what is a human being. Right. If, like, so like those three ways of focusing on those two things will yeah. take you so far. Yeah. And they'll I lead agree. you to Jesus, the perfect human being who embodied the Lordship of God. Yeah. Right. And submission to the father. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, there's a billion things that we could talk about, but I think that that's a good way to close this one out. Um, I got to ask, uh, aside from this podcast, I just thought of this. I just talking to Andrew. I was like, what, what if we, what if you and I did uh, like a three and a half, four hour podcast like Rogan one day where we just talked about everything? Yeah, I mean, I think that Rogan is talking out of his butt a decent amount. No, no, no. I, I'm not going to talk about psychedelics. <laughs> I, like, like, if we talk about like what's going on in the world, and we just did a long form, just just pick the mind of of you and and see what happens. I think people would enjoy that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I if you have some reason to believe that it would be in service to the human race and the church then great. <laughs> but I okay. think that, I think that if I, if I think about something for a little bit and do a little bit of prep to focus a yeah, little more, yeah. I think it ends up serving people. Well, that would be like a super bonus episode. Like it would just be a once in a, once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. Obviously yeah. we're going to keep doing these topical yeah, podcasts. Hey, listen, if I could, if I could um, make a living like Rogan, I surely would. Oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm jealous. I, yeah. I, I feel like he's this kind of brilliant meathead who has like found something amazing, and right, it's really interesting what how it, how he and how he's changed over the years. Like it's right, but like um, I don't yeah, I don't know. So I think he's randomly. Fu- he's doing is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. We'll, we'll close this one out. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share this with your friends. And mm-hmm. um, we'll see and, you all in the next one. What? Yeah. And, and monetize us as much as possible. And monetize us. Send us <laughs> <I'm> money. Just... <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all in the next one. Goodbye. Yeah. All right.